Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Morgan Scholes. She's a consultant with a local business called Startup Junkie. She empowers entrepreneurs and innovators on how to not just start their business, but especially scale their business. That means taking care of your people, which Morgan understands so well. This episode is packed with so many great insights on business. You're going to love this episode. Stay tuned. Here comes your good advice. Hey, thanks for checking out another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. We're going to be talking some business and leadership today. I'm sitting down with Morgan Scholes. She's a consultant with Startup Junkie, where she helps empower entrepreneurs and innovators through strategic consultation on all aspects of starting and scaling their businesses. She's also formally the Director of People and Culture at Be Unlimited. I'm sure we're going to get plenty of insights from her on leadership in general. Morgan, thank you for joining us here today. Blake, it is wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, it's always funny. Whenever I'm reading a bio, I'm like, sometimes I'm like impressed myself. Like, wow, this person is a really big deal. And then I, I get totally distracted and I'm like, wait, what am I talking about? So you, <laughs> you obviously, you work with some pretty incredible people. Startup Junkie is an awesome company here in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what you do on a daily basis. Well, every day is different, Blake, and it's that's what I love about this work. Um, so as a consultant and startup junkie, we work with innovators and entrepreneurs who are at any point in the process of their business. Um, so that could be, hey, I woke up this morning and I've got this great idea I want to run by you. I think it's going to solve world hunger and re, uh, rebrand sliced bread all at once. It's the best idea ever. Um, to, you know, a $20 million company who's like, hey, we want to scale up, we want to exit, you know, wherever in the process. So we're not limited to industry, we're not limited to, um, you know, income or profitability. Um, so my day could look like talking with a dentist's office, to a app developer, to an artist wanting to monetize, you know, their side hobby. Um, we've recently done some training programs with the Girl Scouts of Northwest Arkansas. So I've been meeting with a couple of 13-year-old uh, entrepreneurs who've got, you know, candle making business and charcuterie. But, and I'm like, man, where was this when I was 13? Totally. I, yeah, I, I had a, a student from the U of A call me yesterday for an app idea. And oh, she, she's, I don't want to say the idea because I don't want to, her to hear this episode and be mad yes. that I spoiled her idea. <laughs> but I, just, I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, was I just like a loser in college? Like these people are just rock stars. Like you're talking about a 13-year-old who's an entrepreneur. This oh, stuff's pretty God. cool. 
It is. And what's, I mean, I, the, every day I end the day with so much admiration for the people that I work with and support. Um, so I have never, I've never started a business myself. I did, I did sell strawberries um, door to door when I was um, like eight years old and started my first savings account. So that's where it all I began. I had the aspirations, but um, anyway, then I moved overseas <laughs> and the rest is history. But the, the, the people that I work with are just truly courageous. And they are the people who are out there uh, seeing a problem, solving a problem, and finding creative and new and innovative ways to do that. And so it's, uh, it's, every day is very exciting and interesting. And, you know, I, I learn a ton about industries I didn't even know existed six months ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, tell me about, I mean, obviously you're, you're, and it sounds like, I think you even said this yourself, you're talking to people, they're at, they may be at totally different stages of their business, right. but, but really drilling down on those ideators, those people who, they, you know, it's just like you said, they wake up and, and I don't want to, here's the deal. I, I don't want to come across cynical and because <laughs> you, you especially seem very optimistic. So maybe people need to hire you as opposed to me because whenever someone comes to me and they're like, hey, I have this idea and it's going to solve world hunger and I, I'm not looking to smash the idea but it feels like an entrepreneurship, there's like, and man, maybe this is like a toxic way to put it. I don't want to say like, I don't want to gatekeep entrepreneurship, but like yeah. the, the real work behind entrepreneurship versus like the aspirational dreaming of, and, and obviously you need that, but like, it's like, like, what do you say to the person who comes to you and says, I have the idea and it's going to solve world hunger. Or the person who comes to you, which I've had someone who said this to me, they said, hey, I have an idea. It's Facebook, but better. It's Amazon, yeah. but better. Oh, like, absolutely. Okay, you're, so you're going to compete with the richest man in the world? Like, absolutely. And so, I, and I, again, I don't, want to, I don't want to snuff out someone's creativity, but how do you find that balance between giving honest feedback, uh, but also, I guess, keeping someone in the game? (laughs) That's a great question. And that's, um, you know, that's a wonderful sort of tension that we get to explore every day um, because we don't want to just say, oh yeah, great idea. Good job. We definitely don't want to set anyone up for failure. Um, And, but we also at the same time, you know, don't know what really could be a good idea or not. And so what I feel like my job is to do is ask a lot of questions and then listen, but also my, I don't know the answer of what's going to succeed or not. And that's what I tell everyone, you know, at the end of consulting meetings, if I had a dollar for every time someone said, so you think this is a good idea? Do you think it's going to work? I just don't answer that question. And I say, it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter if I would buy 10 of these or if right. this is the product or service I've been waiting for. What matters is what the market wants exactly. and what the market thinks. And so the, and you know, we've got some great tools and resources that we direct people to because I'm not here to tell anybody yes or no. I'm not writing the check. I'm not, you know, I'm just here to say like, Hey, here's who you need to ask. And that, that person or that party, um, you know, is your prospective market. And so we help set people up to do some customer discovery and just understand. I always tell people, listen, if you want to know if this is a great idea and you're going to make a lot of money and be able to quit your day job and start this mobile empire that you're dreaming of and see the pathway to, you will find out the market will tell you what it wants, 
when it wants it, how frequently it wants it, how it wants to learn about it, how it wants to receive this product or service, how frequently it will utilize it. The market will tell you all of that. And it will either tell you that after you've quit your day job, invested all of your savings and your family savings in this idea or project and submit it to the market and the market accepts or rejects it. Right. Or, or you can do some customer discovery before you spend a penny and ask the people that you think are going to buy this product or service if it's what they want, when they want, how they want it, and then learn from that. Well, I, so, I love your perspective. I mean, you're, you're, I love your expertise and what you're talking about here because this, this makes a lot of sense to me. And it makes me think of a guy who he was offering a product for um, empty nester uh, over 40 moms, basically. Okay. He said, is this a great idea? And I said, what about me <laughs> communicates that I am that demographic? He said, it literally does not matter what I think. Am I channeling an <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, you need to go. But I love what you said. You need, you need to talk to your customers. And, and again, man, I don't know if you feel this way or not, but it, it feels like for me, there's, there are some really simple truths in business that for whatever reason are really hard to grab onto. And so like one example of this is, talking to your customers, like going to your customers and getting feedback from your customers, it feels like more often than not, we are really hesitant to do that. Or maybe we're, we're wary to do that. Or like we, you know, I care more about what my mom thinks than what the customer thinks. Yeah. Talk, let's, let's drill in on that a little bit. I, I love your perspective there. What does it look like for someone to just be so um, maybe courageous in yeah. pursuing what customers think? Well, it's the, you know, don't be afraid to call my baby ugly mentality. And most entrepreneurs or inventors don't often have that mentality because they love what they've created. They love their concept and there's nothing wrong with that, but um, that could be a barrier to success. And so that's, that's where we try to catch a lot of people and just say, Hey, listen, like before you, you know, do X, Y, and Z, like, like think through this and yes, have the, have the courage to do that. And I think, um, you know, for a lot of people, it's just, and that, that, that does end up sometimes being a, a barrier to progression. Some people are like, uh, I don't want to do this, but yeah. thanks, Startup <laughs> Monkey, you guys are great. You know, I'm going to go on my, you know, and we'll continue to help and support people in any way that we can. Um, but what, but what that often looks like, I always tell people like at least, you know, one degree of separation. So nobody you're related to or friends with, because they're going to tell you you're, you're a genius right. and it's a great idea. Um, so you can talk to a friend of a relative or a relative of a friend, but, um, but not that immediate person. And, um, and, and I usually say like, like, let's start out ideally you will interview at least a hundred human beings before you create something for them. Um, but you know, just starting out with 10 and then each of those conversations, like expanding and saying, Hey, do you have like a name or a number of someone that I could call and ask these questions to? Um, but for a lot of people, I mean, in terms of what that looks like, you know, we, we have some tools and resources that we kind of help point people to so that they're not just doing like a Google form and collecting survey feedback results, right? They're actually interviewing and they're, they're learning from, from other human beings. And, and I think that that does feel a lot harder in some ways than just creating a survey and like, would you buy this? Yes or no. Do you like me? Do you want to be my friend? <laughs> you know, and how to avoid confirmation bias and things like that. Well, I, and I like, I like what you're talking about of like, um, 
not that the, again, not that like a Google survey is like illegitimate, but it, here's what's really funny to me is like people like, especially like in the tech world or like the startup world is they, maybe they do that kind of feedback and people are like, yes, I love the idea. But then when it comes time for there to be users of the app or people who are going to pay for the service, mm-hmm. there isn't anybody. And it's, it's this inability in getting feedback of really understanding honest feedback versus being told what you want to hear. So like, and I love your advice there of like finding someone who doesn't have like a, you're not gonna have to see them at Thanksgiving where they're going to like feel bad about telling you it's a bad idea. Right. Um, it, It almost feels like in, to be successful in business, you really have to have thick skin. Yeah. And I think, I mean, are you, okay. Can you see me still? Yeah. Sorry. We, we, <laughs> that awkward silence is we both like our internet dropped for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're back. <laughs> and I was dumbfounded by the question. I was like, man, dang it. I asked a really stupid question. <laughs> I did have someone one time who I asked a question. He was like, that is the dumbest question anyone's ever asked me. And I was Are like, you serious? I was like, well, you're the dumbest guest I've ever had. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. All right. We're back together. Yeah. Go ahead. I think, so I, was, it does, I think it does require, I think it could, you could say, yeah, this is my baby. This is my life. This means the world to me. And I think that's part of, you know, some of the resources we try to help people, you know, equip people with so that they don't necessarily, you know, walk in totally married and committed to this idea and are open to getting some feedback. And I think the other approach that's just really beneficial is not like, oh, this is exception, exception, acceptance or rejection of an extension of myself. Instead, it's an opportunity to learn. You know, I think I think that having those conversations and interviews rather than just um, surveys is that you are often what we see is that often people think their early adopter, their target customer is this particular segment. And they learn that's not true. And so they're able to, you know, maybe it's maybe it's not the right thing at the right time for this person, but maybe there's a version or an iteration of it. And it's better in this format or distributed in this channel or for this particular customer. And so I don't, what's so interesting, I think a misperception maybe about the customer discovery process is it's like, is this a good idea? Yes or no? And it's just not that black and white. Mm. Maybe the version of your idea and your who you think your target customer is, maybe those things aren't congruent. But what you have the opportunity to learn from this project is, or this process is what what really, you know, who your, who, who your customer really is and if they would actually pay for it and how much they would pay and all of those, all of right. those factors. Right. So it's not so much like, do you check yes or no? Will you be my customer? Yeah. <laughs> it's like asking about <laughs> a date. XOXO. Yeah. yeah. It's, that it's old country like, song. Check yes yeah. or no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, t- yeah. so uh, obviously, um, startup, co- startup, startup company, startup junkie is a great company. I want to, I want to dig into a little bit. Um, I want to separate Morgan from startup junkie a little bit. And I really want to dig in on who you are as a person um, that actually sounds like it's a total, like we're, we're going to put up, put you under a microscope. I really, I just, I'm curious, I about, I'm curious about, you know, your passion for business. Um, obviously you have sort of a natural acumen for business. Um, the reason I mentioned, uh, your previous position as the director of people and culture, it's clear that you have a, um, a finger on the pulse of what gets people engaged. So mm. talk to me a little bit about your story. 
Yeah. Well, I started in the small business scene. I worked as director of development and promotion for Main Street Asylum Springs. Um, and so uh, that's a historic preservation, economic revitalization organization dedicated to the historic um, district, the historic zone. And so um, and and that was just like you know, I didn't, I didn't really know what I was getting into. And I, you know, like I said, I'd never started a business. And so that was um, wonderful exposure to the bravery and resiliency that is required of small businesses and startups. And, um, but also the community that, um, that businesses facilitate. And it's not just, you know, for entrepreneurs, especially, what they're doing, they're not, they're not just, you know, trying to get a paycheck. <laughs> they so often don't for so long. And, uh, but what they're, what they're trying to do is they're, they're solving a problem and then they're, they're building a community and, and they are, um, they are more connected, I think, to, to their customers and to the human experience. And so I think that's always been, um, you know, through that position, I was, very involved in the community, in the downtown community, in the, you know, um, I ran for city council, didn't give evidence. Okay. Not, not my moment. Um, but just, you know, just really, I think just, um, fell in love with what, what happens and what businesses do so, in bringing place and people together. Let me pause there just for a second. Cause I, mm-hmm. I just mentioning right there, the, um, running for city council, how old were you at the time? I was, oh, this is, I was 30. Okay. Okay. So, you know. So, yeah, no, I mean, no, I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking out loud of like, there's, it's interesting seeing people who are young, uh, and I'm, I'm saying it like as if I'm old, I'm not, we're both young, but, <laughs> um, you know, especially people in the entrepreneurial world, the business world who aren't just focused on whatever their job is, yes. but who are also getting really active in the community. Absolutely. You know, and so I'm curious also, is that, is that just something that's part of your nature? Is that something that you just kind of felt like, man, I want to give back? I mean, what, what, what's going on there? It feels like part and parcel. I think that, um, you know, like I was saying, you know, when I started working with small businesses and startups, you know, ages and ages ago, not that long, but, um, <laughs> you know, in, in downtown Siloam Springs, I, you know, you can't, those things are inseparable. Every business, whether it's brick and mortar or, um, you know, virtual, you're engaging with people. And, mm. and that is an act of community engagement and community facilitation. And so for me, working with those small businesses and being so involved in so many different aspects of, you know, everything from sidewalks and, and you know, what kind of trees we're planting along, you know, the, and, and using, you know, native agriculture and things like that, like all of those things, um, take on such a different meaning when they're, um, when they're parts of the whole. And that's what the, you know, that's what the business community is. They're parts of the whole. And, um, and so, you know, we definitely see business owners engaging very, very heavily and very participatorily in, you know, in nonprofits and in um, city government. And I think part of it, that's good business, right? The more people who know you and like you and trust you, they're going to buy from you. That's just, that's, you know, another one of those kind of basic principles, like be a good person and, (laughs) you know, people are going to probably be more inclined to utilize your company or your service. Um, But then also I think when you've built something that is contributing to the community that you 
you live in. Um, it's kind of just more of the same. It's what you're already doing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, yeah, you just sort of so, continue that. So you went from, uh, Siloam Springs, which, mm -hmm. um, I, I worked there for a few years and so I have, I have an appreciation for Siloam and a okay. couple of really nice, um, some restaurants that I really enjoy. And I still think about, so I'm actually thinking about a, uh, there's a nice sub place that I'm thinking of right now, but besides oh, the point, yeah, um, you moved over to Fayetteville, mm -hmm. right? So talk to me a little bit more about your journey. Well, um, if for any listeners out there, if you've ever lived in a small town, you know that it can be very it can be a betrayal to leave the small town. <laughs> so it was How a, dare you? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a little, it's a little sensitive spot to, you know, hone in on, um, especially after being so involved in so many things. Part of, um, part of what we loved and part of why we left Salem Springs is because we knew everyone everywhere all the time. You know, we lived in the second oldest neighborhood, knew all my neighbors, 20 houses either direction, going to any store or restaurant. And I know at least, half of the people who are dining there and all of the people who are working there. And that is incredible. That sense of connectedness and that sense of community is, is priceless. And it's something that I treasure and cherish and um, has been a very meaningful, important part of my life and community always will be. I think now my shift is focused to quality rather than quantity of community. So I don't necessarily feel like I want or need to know everyone, you know, on all four points of the compass within a 20 mile radius of, you know, where I'm standing right now. And just, um, you know, we kind of wanted to pull back and, you know, just have a little more balance and be a little less I'm not saying we were like local celebrities, although we were in the Main Street Salem Springs dancing with the stars uh, fundraiser. We were one of the featured couples. So, oh my gosh, are you are for. you famous? Like, do I, need to, <laughs> I need to find an ad sponsor for this episode. This is, this is a good deal. Goodness, oh, people can talk with my people. Yeah, sure. But um, but yeah, so I think part of part of what appealed to us. Uh, in transitioning to Fayetteville is that it still definitely has that um, close and communal and very caring um, Northwest Arkansas uh, vibe, but also it's just a little bit of a bigger city and we felt like mm. we could spread out a little more. It's really hard going to a date night and not getting to, <laughs> you know, have five minutes with your partner because yeah. you're talking to everyone because you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, well, talk to me. How did, what, what got you into, um, you know, just working in the space of people and culture? Yeah, I, so I actually, um, I'm an English major and, um, and the question for every English major is now what? Yeah. Do do? <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> uh, so I, I was always kind of exploring that question and I worked in, you know, I worked in nonprofit development for a while and loved that, but not enough. Um, not enough to want to kind of stay in that space. Um, so I went to grad school because that's what you do when you're young and you don't. Yeah, know you go to more school. Do. That's right. Yep. Um, and uh, so I did my master's at the U of A in rhetoric, composition, and literacy, and focused on curriculum development and design. And attended some panels, um, love panels of different um, alt ac English majors. So English majors who are doing something else besides academia. 
Um, and I, I remember hearing someone who was, who was in the world of HR and she was like, English, English majors are a great fit for HR because we're like always interpreting situations and you're having to read people, whether from a text or whether from interactions and apply different, you know, theoretical approaches, different situations. And I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. But how do you get into HR? Mm -hmm. Uh, because every you know, every position is not, those aren't typically entry-level positions. And so, um, and I wasn't at the place in my career where I wanted to take an entry-level position in something as well. Um, So I got a job in communications uh, for a healthcare network. And then when I started working at Be Unlimited, I was hired there as communications director. And, um, and that was a, that was just sort of a made up title. And I was, I was hired uh, as a air quotes opportunity hire. So I think there was something, um, you know, there was something that the CEO and the CFO like, you know, saw that would be a good fit for the company, but we just didn't quite know right. what the position is <laughs> going to be. Sure. Right. And so that, um, you know, within, within a month, all things sort of HR related found their way onto my desk. Um, and I think that was a combination of like my interest and proclivity towards that sort of thing. And then also there was no one filling that role. And so there were no, you know, discipline processes in place. There was no, there's just a lot of, a, a lot of gaps. And so I think it was sort of just like a merger. Um, so I went and got certified um, through, you know, the Society of Human Resource Management and just really kind of, I, I tell people that director of people and culture is the Fayetteville way of saying director of HR and community. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that was kind of my long winding journey. And I just really fell in love with human resources. I think he gets, I think he gets a really bad rap and I've known some, some HR directors who are the last people I would trust on God's green earth. And, um, but I think that it's the, it's an important part and it has the potential to be a very important part in any organization because our job is to be at the end of the day, the beginning and end of the day, the the ultimate advocate for our employees, um, and to um, and you know sometimes that employee is you know the VP of sales, and sometimes that employee is the intern. But that at the end of the day is our job is to be the the champion for the advocate of every employee. Well, I think everyone can get behind that definition of HR. I think on the flip side, it's not super surprising where people are maybe, um, or maybe why it gets a bad rap. Um, cause often it does feel like the HR role is the CYA for the business of how do we not get sued? Um, and frankly, you know, with, with COVID, um, I mean, man, I hate to put it this way, but COVID has been great for my business because I have no shortage of content on what not yeah. to do oh my to retain your people. And it's just amazing Absolutely. to me, you know, the, what you're talking about advocating for employees, you know, whether that's someone at the top or someone who's frontline, mm-hmm. I think some companies really get that and do that really well. And when, a, when, a, when something as awful as COVID happens, they're now building deep trust with their employees and building longevity with their employees. Yeah. But on the flip side, man, there are companies that are just so woefully disconnected from uh, I guess not treating their employees like transactions. And it's, it's almost in the same vein of what, you're t- what you were talking about a second ago of getting involved in your community. It feels like sometimes businesses are 
resistant to get involved because they are so transactional. It's not very relational. It's really, you know, how do I, how do I move the needle, the dollar sign for my business, you know, one digit further? Um, and well, and what's an interesting parallel, just even in this conversation, just like we were talking about entrepreneurs and innovators and how they're sometimes scared or reticent to get feedback from the people who they actually need it from the most. Often, you know, I think that's I think that's a, a common characteristic in unhealthy organizational structures. There's no um, there's no channel for open communication and most importantly, feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's often like lip service. Like, oh yeah, we've got a compliance hotline. Oh, who cares? And guess who checks the compliance hotline? Probably the person that no one trusts. And yeah. I mean, that's if you have a compliance hot hotline hot dog and you know and 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 you think that that is any form of feedback then you are that's that's like hint number one that you have a a non-transparent and non uh non-high communication well i had a i had a guy on the podcast who was talking about we were talking about feedback and he someone had asked him well what do i do if my employee lies to me and he was like, well, why is that my problem? That's your problem. Because obviously you didn't create a culture where yeah. your employees feel like they can be honest. Right. Uh, and then of course I got a Raz. I can't think, I, I, my mind's dropping on the name of the bank. Uh, the bank, National Bank, it's gotten all these fees. Um, it's been totally drilled for breaking the law multiple times. But one of the things that they did was their compliance hotline would report back to the bosses of the employees who were calling the compliance hotline so that those people could then be punished, which is like, so, I mean, not just, let's be clear, fam. It's, it's not just bad business. There's something deeply immoral and unethical about this. But again, for whatever reason, you and I, as we're talking about it, we're like, yes, makes sense. Yes, I get it. But I guess in practice, sometimes it just gets, it just gets clunky, I guess. I don't know. Right. And I think what's, I think it's, it's hard because it has to be intentional. So feedback and understanding what your employees want and what is truly best for your employees and what actually does create a safe, productive, transparent work environment. The only people that can tell you that are your employees. Just like if you're an entrepreneur, the only people who will tell you if it, what they'll pay for your product are your customers. And so ask them, but it can't be, you know, business owners who have employees want to treat that like entrepreneurs want to treat their mom. Like they're going to ask their favorite employee or their kid who works there. Like, Hey, what do you think? How's this? I mean, they ask the people they are who are going to give them the answer they want to hear. And then that checks their box for them. Like, no, it's okay. I got feedback. So-and-so said that, um, this, this is going great. And, 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 uh, and, but it's not, you know, obviously that's not a comprehensive picture of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it does take intentionality, like feedback doesn't, you know, even if it's, even if you have, I, I talk to companies who have, uh, two employees, you know, or there are two partners. And I say, why don't you, um, I'm going to give you some advice. Go ahead and schedule a weekly check-in with one another. I know you don't feel like you need that because you're working in the same room all the time, but you have to be intentional to Mm. create a space for this conversation to happen because otherwise it will come out in microaggressions or in passive aggressiveness. And instead, if you know, if I know that I'm checking in with someone 
on Tuesday at three o'clock, I can, you know, I can have a list of things to bring up and I know that there's a space for that to be heard. And I'm not saying you need to have weekly one-on-ones with all your employees. I know that's not feasible, but you know, I transitioned the company I work with from annual evaluations to quarterly reviews because we, again, need to have structured, predictable and safe formatted context where that's a conversation, not just a beratement like oh this is what you're doing bad this is what you need to do better you know like that's not a conversation you'll get a kick out of this i i i I talked to someone who their feedback loop was so rare it happened so inconsistently that the employee didn't get an annual review she got a five-year review and so it was like bringing up all this dirt over things that she had done over the last five years almost like a breakup letter. I mean, it was, yeah. it was bad. It was really That's bad. Heartbreaking. Um, and you know, thinking about this whole concept of intentionality though, it's, it's a bit wild to me how, like I'm thinking about one company who I, I directly had asked them or actually someone I was working with had directly asked them about like how they get along. And they were like, Oh, we love each other. It's so great. We're so productive. But we had survey data from them that was oh. anonymous <laughs> that painted like, a picture of we struggle to work together. It's really hard. And I remember standing up being like, why are you guys even lying to me? Like you're paying us. Like, why would you lie? It's right here, you know? And so I don't know. (laughs) Speaking of intention, we're running out of time. Speaking of intentionality, how have you, um, you know, obviously you've done well for yourself. It feels like you've gone from one really incredible position to the next one. How have you been intentional in your own life to stay hungry, to grow, to develop yourself? Uh, What does that look like for you? That's a great question, Blake. And I kind of ask myself the opposite question sometimes. Like, when will I ever feel satisfied? (laughs) And I don't know. I don't know. you know, I'm a learner, and um, and so I think I think part of that is you know I've had the opportunity to live and work in a lot of different countries, and so I feel um, that I always um, have have something to learn and gain from everyone and everything around me. Um, but I, I I don't know I don't know how that happens intentionally, but I think I I I personally just always um, feel like this. I don't want to say urgency because I I live a pretty peaceful life. I don't want to sound like I'm like constantly (laughs) striving for the next big thing, but I do always have, um, you know, a sense of, I think a sense of urgency to, to be growing and to be, you know, becoming the person that, you know, I thought I was going to be when I was eight years old. And um, I think about that a lot. Like I, you know, I always, who did I see myself as? as what kind of person did I see myself as, as a child? And am, am I growing into that person today? Not that, you know, I, I thought I was probably going to be like a violinist and that's, you know, that lasted for like a year and a half when I was 14. So not vocationally necessarily. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I think I, I think I think about who I want to be. And I know that this is the time where that happens. Um, you know, I, I, every day is the day that I'm becoming more of the person that I either do want to be or don't want to be. Mm. Um, and yeah, I I love it. it. (laughs) Morgan, I, I love that you came on the show today. Tell the listeners what, what can they do to follow you, engage with you if they want to reach out to you? What does that look like? 
Yeah. So I am um, unfortunately super bad at social needs, uh, but I do. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Morgan Scholes. Also, my email is uh, morgan at startupjunkie.org. Um, my phone number is 479-235-5625. Don't worry. I will never answer my phone at a time that I don't want to. So, you know. Yeah, you're giving the whole shebang. I'm, re- I'm waiting for the <laughs> social security number. <laughs> I mean, I don't have like, I'm not going to tell you to find me on Facebook or Instagram. So I feel like I have to compensate by being accessible in those more uh, traditional it. means of communication. Okay. My address is not yeah. Well, for the listeners, I'll uh, put that, I won't put the, her phone number in the episode description because I don't want her to get robocalled, but oh, I'll put, I'll put uh, the LinkedIn and the email in the episode description below. Morgan, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Like it's always such a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Right. Hey, for our listeners, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button so we can keep bringing you great advice for you wherever you are. Also, if you enjoyed this episode with Morgan, make sure you leave us a five-star review. Hey, thanks for listening. And as always, we'll catch you later. See ya.